Uh, you, you mentioned earlier about the people who have mentioned my name uh, as part of their recovery story. Well, I, I would want anyone who hears this podcast to understand if I've had a part in somebody else's life, I consider that a privilege. I don't consider that something that, oh, look, look at what I have had to do for these people. That's, that's not how I view that. I view that as, as, as maybe uh, life's greatest privilege being able to do something to be a part of somebody else's recovery. Now, what I won't ever do is take any credit for it. Because if I take credit for somebody's recovery, then I have to take blame if they screw up. It's not my recovery, it's theirs. Hey there, you're dialed into Reboots, featuring stories about people who have been forced to start over in life or in business. All walks of life, anonymous or named, high profile or low down. Stories with heart, soul, and grit. Because knowing and sharing our stories is essential for living a life of joy, experiencing healthy relationships, and impacting the world around us in a positive way. Here's your host, Tracy Winchell. This is episode R021. We're finally going to hear from the guy named Ed, recommended by a full 20% of our previous Reboots podcast guests as the guy who helped them navigate pretty serious reboots. Now, my friend Ed has been a pastor since he was 19 years old. He still doesn't understand much about why, but he helps people confront why almost daily. You know what makes him so good at it? Ed Saucier explains here in this interview that he has wrestled with why for much of his pastoral care. Why are children abused? Why did my son die? Why did I get cancer? Did I deserve these tragedies? Ed Saucier is the founding pastor at Community Bible Church in Fort Smith, Arkansas. He does still teach on some Sundays, but every week, about 250 or so of us get to hear Ed walk us through the Beatitudes as presented through Celebrate Recovery Curricula. As we've alluded to, four of our first 20 guests have mentioned Ed as a catalyst for their reboots. And today I'm so happy to know that every one of you will get to learn more about Ed and his insights into how people get better, whether that reboot is a professional or a personal reboot. Ed will share how he believes God intends us to live in this life, no matter what happens, no matter how much life hurts sometimes. We also talk about some kind of unexpected topics, Ed's respect for Dr. Stephen Hawking, the brand new Bugatti he really wants to drive, and somewhere along the way, we mention the classic TV show, Bonanza. Hey, Ed, thanks for inviting us into your office. My pleasure. We asked you here today because so many people in 2017 who have helped me launch this podcast and shared their story with me mentioned this guy named Ed as part of their 
Reboots story. So I thought we would invite you on as our first expert interview when it comes to advice and encouragement for people who want or need to navigate a reboot. Uh, well, super. Uh, are you sure I'm the right Ed? <laughs> Pretty sure. Okay. Well, I'm I'm happy to be here. Thank you. I know that you've you've had an opportunity to listen to maybe one or two episodes of the Reboots podcast, and I'm grateful yeah, for I that. Have. I've listened to uh, three or four actually. Yep. Thank you. Yeah. What are your overall observations about any sort of a reboot? You have been a pastor. A long, long time, and you've seen people in in rough situations, you've seen them get better, and you've seen them not get better. Are there any particular pieces that are common to a reboot for you when other people navigate them? Probably so. Um, I I think it's awfully important uh, when you when you think about somebody re- rebooting, it's going to it's going to have an, a lot to do with somebody finally getting to a point or a place in life where they say, "All right, enough is enough." And the ones that I've listened to on your on your podcast so far are have all gotten to that point of of saying, "This is not where I want to go. This is not the direction I want life to take," and so. Rather than wring my hands about it and wish things were different, I have to figure out how to actually make the kinds of decisions that will, in fact, help me end up at a different destination. And you find that to be true even when circumstances force a reboot or when one chooses a reboot? Uh, To a degree, I do. I, th- I think the person that chooses to reboot, reboot is is uh, probably a stronger candidate for success as opposed to uh, someone who has been court ordered to reboot. Uh, you know, there's there's a, there's a saying among the uh, the recovery community that it's not for those that need it; it's for those that want it. I think there's something to that. One of the questions that I ask guests on the life, faith, and recovery side, and even the business entrepreneurship and creativity side of the equation. Was your reboot a moment or a series of choices? And most of the time, people say, yes, (laughs) it's both. So there's that moment of clarity, and then there is that decision to do things different every single day. Do you find that to be true? I do. Uh, I don't I don't hardly think I don't hardly think the answer could be different than your guests have 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 said to you because I th- I think you do come to a point where you say things are going to be different. That in and of itself is not enough. You have to know how to make different become reality. And typically, we are in a position, an undesirable position, because we don't know how to be otherwise. So the, the process has to be learned and followed and believed in and, and, and done so uh, jealously. I mean, it has to be 
it has to be a sincere, committed type of I, I'm going to do this. So the process means that you have this moment and you say, I'm tired of this. I don't want to do this anymore. The next thing is I'm willing to do whatever it takes every single day to get better. But now, how do I know what that thing is that I have to start doing every single day? Where do you start to find that out? Well, you, you start with someone who knows how. Uh, for instance, years years ago, uh, I decided I wanted to learn how to be a, a swimmer for exercise because all I knew about swimming was you jump in the water and you thrash around. So I found a fellow who was a, uh, a collegiate level swimmer, in fact, had actually had chan- a chance to be part of one of the previous Olympics. Wasn't quite good enough for that, but that's still awfully good. And so I ask him, what am I doing wrong? What what can you teach me? What can you help me with? And he just started with the most basic part of what what it means to swim and what it can do for you and the things to avoid, the things to watch for, the right equipment and so forth and so on. So he knew everything and I knew nothing. And so you find someone who knows what you don't know and you allow them to be your guide. And here we go again. You and I, over the past four or five years, have talked a lot about community. And that was the hardest and most objectionable thing for me to do, was to walk in the doors of a Celebrate Recovery meeting, because I didn't need anybody but God. And you and I have talked about that over and over, and it has taken me a long time to figure out that I really can't do this alone. I have to have someone beside me and in front of me showing me the way. What's the importance of community in figuring out that next thing to do and those next things to do? And then even, gosh, I didn't swim enough laps today because I it was cold outside and I just didn't want to get out of bed. So having someone in community to prod you on or love you anyway, what's, why on earth do we have to do this in front of people? Oh, uh, you, you, you may have to cut me off here because I could go way too long with this. It's just how we're designed. Uh, I am in, I am entirely too close to my own situation to be trusted, to evaluate it and be be accurate. I'm too close. Uh, you know, that, that, that the old Chinese saying, if you want to know the condition of the water, don't ask the fish because they're too close to the situation. Well, I'm too close to my own situation to be objective about it. But objective knowledge is essential. So you need, you need somebody else to weigh in. I'm going to, typically speaking, I'm always going to give myself... A, uh, a better score than I deserve. Uh, I'm, I'm going to give myself more more room for uh, laxity than activity. I, I, I'm just I'm going to I'm going to slant things in my favor. Now I may have those moments of self loathing where I'm going to go the other way and I'm going to criticize myself to death. Well, even that needs the objective weigh in from someone else to say, no, 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 no. This is not God's will for you. But 
if I'm so close to my situation and I'm the only one weighing in on it, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to an extreme either way. I'm not going to do it right. I need somebody else because I can't be objective enough. So I need that. But I also need someone else, again, as I've mentioned earlier, I need somebody else who knows what I don't know. But then beyond that, I need someone else who doesn't know as much as I know so I can help them too. This is, like it or not, this is how we seem to have been created. God says as much throughout Scripture. Uh, one, of, one, of my, uh, one of my profs years and years ago, he said, the Bible knows nothing of a solitary Christian. We are part of a greater whole, uh, whether, that, whether that is uh, uh, two people as a marriage, whether that is five people as a family, whether that, that's a thousand people of a, as a congregation. We're part of a greater whole, but we, and we need each other. I, I, I need the person who knows what I don't, but a person who knows less than I needs me. And that's just the way it works. I've found that to be true. Not because you told me, even though I asked you and you gave me your opinion, I found it to be true by continuing to come back. And I've finally seen it enough times that I know what you told me is the truth. Yeah. How do you, how do you, this has to be hard. All the people, including me, who have appeared on our podcast, whom you have helped, they've all said that you have spoken truth into their lives. And a lot of that truth is, I don't know. I don't know why. I don't know how. But this is true about life. And I know each of those pieces of advice has been different. But when when someone comes to you and says, I don't understand why my child died. I don't understand why I lost my job. What do you tell them? Well, a lot of the time I do have to tell them I don't know because most most of the questions that uh, that really put us on the shelf don't have answers. Uh, it, and it, it, it these are the why questions. Why did this happen? Why didn't that happen? Why this? Why now? Why me? Why not them? There aren't any answers. They just, they just, they just don't exist. Uh, so you move past asking why, and you kind of get to the point of what's next. Uh, Tracy, I have a, I have a favorite way of of, of talking about life's difficulties. Uh, and one of them is that I lived under a delusion for many, many years that if I knew the why, I could handle any what. And I was bound and determined to know the why. But that's not true. Because I've discovered about me that even when I do know why, I can't understand it. Well, that's a Bible verse too, right? The ways of God are beyond my ability to ever find them out. So even if God did provide me with the answer to why, only arrogance causes me to believe I would understand it. Because I don't understand it, Tracy. I don't understand a lot of things that happen every day in this world. 
I don't understand why with the existence of an all-powerful, all-knowing, good, gracious God, I don't understand why any child should ever be abused. I don't get that. I don't understand why anyone needs to go to bed hungry ever, certainly not in our part of the world, when most of us will put things in the garbage disposer this evening. I don't know why anyone has to be cold in the winter weather because I've got 10 jackets or coats in my house. I don't, I don't, I don't know the why. So even if I knew why, Certain things happen to certain people. Why, why, why illness can affect somebody and create such hardship in their life that uh, that it's almost it's hard to be friends with some people sometimes because their physical their physical issues are so demanding that it that it's hard even to look at or watch. I. I know people like that. I know people that it's hard to be their friends just because being around their suffering is so uncomfortable and objectionable that you don't want to be there. So I gave up on the why. Well, then there's another thing is, all right, let's say I did understand why. I know myself well enough to know this. It wouldn't satisfy me. So the three things that I thought I needed... When I got serious about it, I just had to admit the truth. Uh, one, I thought if I knew the why, I could handle the what. Well, life has proven that untrue for me. Second, if I know the, the why, what would cause me to think I would understand it? I don't understand it. And then you get to the third point of, well, even if I did understand it, I wouldn't be satisfied with it. I know me that well. If God himself said to me, Ed, the reason I allowed this situation to exist that is so unbelievable to you and so objectionable to you, the reason I allowed that is because I wanted to create something in you that would make you more effective as a human being so that you could be better at what I want you to do. I know me well enough to say, to know this, that I would say, God, you could have done that without doing all this. I would, I, would, I, I would absolutely have advice for God on how he should do his job better. So all of that to say the why no longer concerns me. I just don't care about the why. I just care about what do we do about it? What can we do to make the situation better? And what we do to make situations better is we start learning things that we don't know. Sometimes as simple as we start learning to tell the truth to ourselves. Because for a long, long time, I think a lot of us live, live in this, uh, this little fairy, fairy tale world, this fanciful world where we pretend that we are what we are not and that we are not what we are. And so we just start this process of learning what it means to be honest with each other, be honest with ourselves, being honest with God. And to me, that's the first step is you just, and, and we even talk about that in our 12-step program of moving past this thing of denial where we, where we pretend, just moving out of that world and start dealing with the reality. I told you you'd have to stop me. I've even forgotten what the question was. Oh, 
Yeah, what we tell people who are suffering and in pain and they're trying to figure out why bad things have happened to them. You get a lot of that. I do. I do. Uh, Well, I can't... I can't begin to answer that. I don't know why bad things happen any more than I know why good things happen. I know this. Not every time, not every person that endures something bad has been bad. And not every person that gets something good has been good. That's a huge thing in our Christian culture, isn't it? Where we assume that someone deserves whatever bad or good happens to them? It just isn't accurate. We don't. And I don't think it has anything to do with that. I don't think think there's some committee somewhere taking notes that says, okay, Tracy was good enough here to deserve this, so give her that. But she was bad enough here that we're going to have to give her that. I don't think that exists. It, life happens on a continuum, and it is absolutely unpredictable. Part of it's good. Part of it's bad. I, I think maybe the greatest disillusionment that I have lived under for years and years and years was the notion that I knew which was which. I, that's some parts I I think I'm probably okay that I can say, yeah, that was good and that was bad. But there's a lot of stuff that's gone on in my life that I judged bad that I now believe was actually good. And there have been a number of things in my life when at the moment I thought were good that now I know we're not. So good and bad run on parallel tracks. You weighed in the other day on a query I posted on Facebook about what's your take on failure. Yeah. And this response reminds me of that response about stuff just happens. It's our response to it. I think stuff does just happen. I think life does happen. And uh, the cause is not something that I can worry myself with about about because I can't control it at any point. Uh, But life does happen. I mean, sometimes you're in you're, you're in your car. You're doing nothing and someone hits you. So what caused that? Somebody looking at their phone and had a car wreck. It's it's just life happening. And some days as life happens, it makes me smile. And some days as life happens, it makes me cry. Uh, I try to do try to do better the next day if I'm, you know, if, if I think through it long enough to get there. Um but it just it just happens, and what you, what we have to do is figure out what's my next step to make this better, not why. I mean, if it's simple enough that you can figure out the the why, then fix that. But most of it most of it's far more difficult than that. And and yeah, that that part that I mentioned there that uh, on on Facebook was that failure is just. Uh, I mean, overall, life is going to be filled with fail, failures. We're going to make mistakes. We're going to uh, make judgmental errors. We're going to do the very best we know how sometime, and sometimes it's still going to be wrong. I mean, that's the big picture. The small picture is every day I get to make the choices about how I react. And those choices, to me, uh, are not failures. 
I, even in the midst of a, of a situation that I never want to be in, I can still make the right choice. And uh, I heard a guy say one time, there's a big difference between being a failure and failing. We're all going to fail. We're not failures, not, not as long as we get back up. We've talked a little bit about telling ourselves the truth, making decisions, sort of knowing who we are versus who we say we are or who we want to be. Yeah. We've talked about community. Where does our relationship with God play into a reboot? There are a whole bunch of people who either doubt God or deny his existence. And that has led to all sorts of poor choices, broken relationships. And when they find recovery, it's fascinating Fascinating to me how often they find God. Sometimes they don't, but sometimes they do. Yeah. Where does God fit into this change in our lives? Um, oh, I, I guess being a theologian, I have, to, I have to answer it from a theological vantage point. First of all, he doesn't fit into it. We fit into it. I mean, he's just God. And he doesn't... He doesn't... Uh, he doesn't have to fit into my my story. It's his story. I learned to fit into his. And I, I learned years and years ago just how uncomfortable I was with that truth when I was in school. And we had to read all these objectionable books that I didn't want to read because I was already smart enough and I didn't need to read them. And one of my least favorite writers was Milton. Because he didn't seem like a Christian writer at all. I, you know, I was reading other books when people were writing these books and everything ended up in the end. Everything ends up really, really well. And God comes to the rescue. And it basically um, our theology as young men in those days was, was sort of like watching an episode of Bonanza or Gunsmoke. At the end of every episode, either Ben Cartwright and the boys or Matt Dillon and Festus wrote in and they saved the day. And everything went well for the hero. Well, you read Milton, and in Milton's writings, God is not there as a character that does what needs to be done to make the story turn out well. He's there as God to be obeyed, end of story. And I didn't, I didn't care for that so much. I wanted God to fit into my story better than that, but he doesn't. So I don't think God fits into it, Tracy. I think we fit into it. Here is life. And, and, and I think you and I have had these conversations before, but God says to you, he says to me, here's this marvelous gift, life. It's yours. It's my gift to you as it is my gift to billions of others on this planet. What you do with it is your choice. And you've got lots of choices. And typically, before we learn to make the right ones, we'll make some wrong ones. But that, to me, is how we fit into God's story of understanding that it is a gift. It, it's to be lived well. It's to be lived in community. Uh, and it's to be lived, by and large, I think, as a giver more than as a taker. 
Uh, you, you mentioned earlier about the people who have mentioned my name uh, as part of their recovery story. Well, I, I would want anyone who hears this podcast to understand if I've had a part in somebody else's life, I consider that a privilege. I don't consider that something that, oh, look, look at what I have had to do for these people. That's, that's not how I view that. I view that as, as, as maybe uh, life's greatest privilege, being able to do something to be a part of somebody else's recovery. Now, what I won't ever do is take any credit for it. Because if I take credit for somebody's recovery, then I have to take blame if they screw up. It's not my recovery. It's theirs. It's my privilege to point in a direction. It's my privilege to encourage, my privilege to provide perhaps a perspective because I've been around quite a while, you know, longer than longer than I thought I would, you know, be doing around these things. You but just referenced Bonanza. I did, didn't I? I did. And, and I can I can I can go beyond that. I can go I can go back way before Bonanza, but uh I have. I've been around a long time. Maybe I've learned a few things. I, I have. I'm, I don't mean this, this. I don't mean this to, to sound, uh, you know, so humble and all that. I, I've learned some things. I've learned a lot of things across the years. Well, why shouldn't I use those to help other people? And if it helps them, and it and it kind of charges me up at the same time, that's a win-win. And uh, and that's that's pretty much what I what I want to do is I want I want to get up every day and and figure out a way to enjoy life and enjoying life for me is always going to be involved in having some core level relationships with other people and uh helping them navigate through life because helping them navigate through life helps me navigate through life too there's just this notion about god that is messed up that lands a bunch of us here at Community Bible Church on Thursday nights working a recovery program. And when we start to read the serenity prayer aloud and together, and when we start to figure out that what you said just a a few minutes ago, God really does want us to live a great life on this earth. We don't have to wait till we're dead. What's that all about? Yeah, uh, I, I don't. I don't really know where to trace its beginnings, uh, but it it has to be about more than just what's next. Uh, this life is to be enjoyed. I believe that to the very depth of my soul, life is to be enjoyed, and yet it has to be endured to be enjoyed, because there are those. Seasons of life. Sometimes are sh- they're short. Sometimes they are unending, where things must be endured. But that's life. So one has to learn to endure before one can enjoy. And I don't think that these are either or types of propositions. I think they're both and. I think I think the enduring life and the enjoying life, if you will, is two sides of a single coin. It's, life happens the way it happens, and you and I figure out, as followers of Christ, what's my next move? The worst thing I think we can do, the most ineffective thing I think we can do, is to 
get angry at God and blame God and say, if you were a loving God, you wouldn't have allowed this. Or even to blame myself and to say, if I were a better Christian, this would not have happened to me. That that doesn't help anybody. I look at it from the standpoint of this is life. Again, sometimes it makes me laugh. Sometimes it makes me cry. This is life. Everyone has their own life. And everybody's life has uh, has its own particular trials. So I'm no different. I shouldn't expect to be different. I just need to figure out what it, what is it that God created me to do and to be? And how do I bring that to bear on this particular situation? Uh, I, what, what good would it do for me to feel sorry for myself? What good would it do for me to compare what I'm having to face with what somebody else faces. I, I, I fail to see that has any benefit at all to anybody. So I try not to do it. I just figure out each day the best thing I know to do, given what the situations might be, and go on about my business. What advice or encouragement do you have for someone ran into a fellow the other day having supper in the bar side of a restaurant by myself, And we started talking about God like we were old friends. He said he missed God. He missed him. And I asked him why he missed him. He said he doesn't have enough time. And that reminded me there are so many of us out there who want a better relationship with God. And there's some reason... Why we don't take those steps to draw closer to him. Where does one start to reconcile that? Uh, Big question, Tracy. Uh, Maybe I know it, maybe I don't. I think part of it has to do with uh, that very often I think our, our problems emanate from creating God after our own image. I created a God that would be there to answer my prayer. I created a God that would reward me for faithfulness. I created a God that would give me what I want and protect me from what I don't want. Then when the reality of life strikes and none of that works, then I've I've created a problem for myself because if if I believe God is the magic genie in the lamp and that all I have to figure out is how to rub him just right so he can come out and give me my three wishes, at some point in time, that's that theology is going to fall to pieces, going to cave in on me. Well, yeah, I missed that God. If If God was supposed to be my servant, well, then I miss him because that God – doesn't exist. He, he's, not, he's not around. Of course I would miss that. If I just had the ability to summon whatever I want from God at any point in time and get it, and then I don't get it anymore, then yeah, then I'd miss that. I think we, I, I think we miss God. Uh, I, I myself would, would say, yeah, of course I would miss that God. But all I'm missing at that point is a God that doesn't exist anyway. If we begin to see God again as Milton presents him. Not as a God who's just going to give you everything you want. Not as a God that's going to protect you from stubbing your toe or from cancer 
or from a car wreck or from a divorce or from a mental illness. If we see God from the standpoint as the one who gives us life and says, follow me, well, then he's always here. And, 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 and I, I don't have to miss him. I don't, I, I don't have to wish he were still here. He's always here. That, that, but the God of my own creation, the God of the warm fuzzies, you know, the God that never wants me to have a bad day, the God that never wants me to face a trial, the God that's going to give me the car, the house, the shiny things, the, the fame, the fortune. Well, that's, that's what Madison Avenue has told us is important in life. That's not what the Scripture tells us about God. The Scripture tells us that God does want us to enjoy our life. But the type of joy that the Bible talks about and that we believe as, that I believe anyway, as a Christian, as a theologian, it's a kind of joy that doesn't have to have a lot of money to make it be there. And we've kind of created a subculture of the blessings of God almost always have to do with money and possessions. And I think that's tragic. So, yeah, I mean, if there was a God around that was going to let me have the the new Corvette or the new Mercedes or let's just go ahead and say the new Bugatti. You know, that's a I saw one on TV the other day. It was three and a half million dollars. You know, if if I had a God that was just going to give me everything I wanted and then suddenly he's gone. Well, of course, I'm going to miss him. But a God who says, follow me. Deny yourself, Ed. Follow me. I don't miss him because he's never been anywhere other than where he's always been. Three more questions. I need to get you out of here. First question, who is God to you? Um, I, I will lean on what I think is the best answer to that that I have ever known from Paul Tillich, who called him the ground of all being. He just did. The creator, the sustainer, all that is or ever will be is the result of the creative genius, power, potency of this awesome being that I, in my mind, must exist. Because for me, I can't explain our presence here today without believing in a creator. You know, I'm, I really am one of those design designer guys. Uh, the, the design of the world to me demands a designer. It's just that simple. And uh, no less a mind than the mind of Stephen Hawking says, no, you've missed something. Uh, I've, I've, I have a theory that I can explain creation without the need to posit the existence of a divine, divine being. And I've heard Dr. Hawking bring that argument. I watched it on TV, watched it twice. Uh, it didn't answer the question for me. Now, I'm, I'm not criticizing Dr. Stephen Hawking. I'm saying I didn't follow his logic. For me, a design demands a designer. And uh, so to me, this is God. He is the ground of all being. He is the essence of all that is. Next question Celebrate recovery related. Who needs celebrate recovery? Oh, I would say anyone, any, anyone who has a part of their life 
that is providing for them, or let me put it this way, anyone who has a part or a segment of life that is proving to be unmanageable. And that could be any of a hundred different things. Last question is about celebrate recovery's relationship within the body of Christ and a church. Does this approach to living life according to the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount, does that help us as Christians love one another better? And if so, how? I hope so. Uh, it, I, it does me. For certain, it does me. Uh, again, as Christians, we take the words of Jesus to be the words of God, the teachings of Jesus to be eternally true and trustworthy, and, and I believe that they are. And he said, love each other. Right, so if for no other reason than simply he said it, we ought to do it. But there are untold reasons behind that, why we should, why we should. Uh, how it helps is if I love somebody, I will not knowingly do something that would cause them harm. Now, the fact that we are human means we are going to make mistakes. But no one ever has to tell me, hey, Ed, your wife's birthday's coming up, so you should get her a birthday card. No one's ever had to tell me that. Not in the almost, we'll be married 44 years this June. When her birthday comes up, when our anniversary comes up, no one has to tell me. Buy her a card or a gift. I can't wait to do that for her because that's what the nature of love provides is love makes me want to do good things for my wife. Uh, I've got this little saying, I won't take credit for it, but I can't give credit where it's due because I don't remember where I first heard it. But it said, in the atmosphere of love, rules are not necessary. We have a daughter, we have three grandkids. When we were raising our daughter, I never once woke up, tapped Shara on the shoulder and said, look, it's morning. One of us better go get up and feed Jennifer so DHS doesn't come and take her away. No one ever had to tell me to feed my daughter. No one ever had to tell me to provide her with warm clothing in the cold weather. No one ever told me. No one ever needed to tell me that. No one ever tells me, don't abuse your wife or you're going to go to jail. I don't need that. I don't need the law to tell me to love my wife and my daughter and my grandkids. I don't need the law to tell me not to steal from my neighbor. I don't need the law because love lives in my heart. So in the, in the atmosphere of love, rules are not necessary, and yet rules are necessary because the world is an imperfect place, and sometimes what we think love is, it isn't. But overall, loving somebody is going to always make me want to do what's best for them, not in a codependent way, which I've lived that life too. Uh, but to love someone would would then provide for me both the power but also the desire to do something good for somebody else. 
and in so doing, it comes back on me. I, I, I always, truly, I am always flabbergasted when I do something for somebody else and they tell me, thank you. I'm always flabbergasted that I really feel like I'm the one that comes out on the better end of that deal. For me to be a part of something that helps somebody else, and I, I, that's Christianity. That's that's what we were taught to do, that it's more blessed to give than receive. Well, come to find out it really is. So that, that to me is how that works. Sometimes we're not very good at knowing how to love other people, though, huh? Oh, yeah. For sure. I, I think it's universally true that we're going to do things poorly before we do them well. Uh, but wait into the battle. Uh, start somewhere. Uh, loving people is, I guess it's it's complex at one point and not so complex at the other. But knowing what to do exactly what's right in every situation is probably not a gift that any of us has. Uh, yet, for the most part, Knowing how to love somebody means that you're not going to do something to harm them, to hurt them on purpose. Uh, you are going to do things that you think will add to their experience. It's not all, not always going to be right, though. I know that. But, yeah, we're probably not all that good at it by nature, but probably we, we could be a lot better at it if we wanted to be. That's what CR helps me do. So thank yeah, you. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Yeah. Anything else? Oh, that'd depend on how many questions you have left. You're out of time. I'm out of time. All right. Good enough. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, my brother. My pleasure. Such a delight to hang out with Ed and then to get to share that with our Reboots tribe. Ed is uh, precious to so many of us because he, he speaks truth into our lives, and he does so with love and lots and lots and lots of grace. He's quick to admit his own flaws in order to draw closer to our Creator and to help those of us in his life live these authentic lives for God and to help one another. While the Celebrate Recovery lessons Ed teaches are not recorded, his Sunday sermons are. I'm going to post a link to current and previous Community Bible Church podcast feeds so that you can get a taste of how Ed teaches. If this episode has helped you in some way, would you please let us know? Tracy, T-R-A-C-Y, at RebootsPodcast.com. That's T-R-A-C-Y at R-E-B-O-O-T-S-P-O-D-C-A-S-T dot com. Better yet, it's really easy to share this episode. Just dial up rebootspodcast.com forward slash episode 21 in your web browser. Tap the share button on the podcast player and share it wherever you want. I'm Tracy Winchell. We'll see you next time. Deo Valente. We hope this episode has helped you in some way. If so, we'd love to hear from you. Maybe someone you care about might benefit from the Reboots Podcast. It's easy to share from our website, RebootsPodcast.com. The Reboots Podcast is a production of Winchell StoryWorks Incorporated, a company dedicated to helping businesses and individuals know, share, and live their stories in order to impact the world around us in a positive way and to achieve financial freedom.